We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Fires downfield to Jamar Chase. He's got it. Wow. Takes it all the way. DJ Moore has a pass to the end zone. Jonathan Taylor. Touchdown. Pass is caught. Diggs. Touchdown. It's zero RB watch time. We're going to look through some of the players to keep a close eye on ahead of NFL Week 8. Sean, it is going to be an exciting week. I'm pretty pumped for week eight of the nfl action there's some interesting matchups and we're going to talk through some of those scenarios but mainly today looking at the backfields and how things have played out over the last couple of weeks and what that means moving forward sean nfl week eight i didn't do this for a while you know i used to start off week one week two i can't believe we're this close to the season how the season is going but uh it is hard to believe that we are at week eight of the season it has those opening two months have, have really flown by well, I mean, they've flown by slash seem like they took an eternity with some <laughs> of the injured players. Injury is always a big part. You're just hoping that it doesn't hit your own particular rosters especially hard. But there have been so many fun things as well. One of the reasons that we're talking zero RB watch today, column, a bunch of those guys have hit. Obviously, waivers is over for this week. We're looking more big picture. We're trying to figure out as we move through this weekend into the next what are some sort of look ahead types of waiver additions who are some stash candidates how do we expect the nfl to evolve at the running back position especially in maybe high leverage or complicated controversial backfields right now where if you play it correctly or create exposure to the right scenarios then perhaps this could blow up for you in the future, make a difference down the line. So this isn't so much about week eight as it is winning the rest of the season and just trying to understand how some of these backfields are evolving. That's a big part of staying ahead of the curve and at least giving yourself some chances. You're not going to be right on everything. Not all the players on the zero RB initial candidates countdown are hits, but you have to create the right exposure to the right balance of candidates to have some of those guys who do come through and then when we were joking earlier this week that Michael Hitchcock and I had played three of our zero RB candidates, including in the flex on a team that blew up for easily my highest score of the season and one of the highest scores I've had in the FBC in the last three or four years. Colin, we're going to try and figure out how listeners can do that in week 10, week 12, week 14, and maybe then have the right roster for 
the shootout, you get that FPC team in, you get that main event team in, you're looking at a million dollars, a half a million dollars. And beyond that, if you're playing in a medium-sized home league with your coworkers or your college buddies, I mean, that's the league you have to win. So we're going to figure out how to win leagues that are priceless. The, the, yes. You mentioned a million dollars, but the, the home leagues, Sean, they are still the priceless leagues where sometimes it, it means the most to try and to win those ones. So we are going to talk through those, Sean. We aren't going to talk about the big news that happened on Thursday. Well, relatively big news is that Canarius Tony has been traded from the Giants to the Chiefs, but you and Ben already talked about that on Stadium Bananas, so I would urge anyone who is looking to dissect that to head on over and listen to Stealing Bananas after we finish up today's show. But Sean, the interesting one here I want to kick out with, we have a list here of the teams to talk about, but San Francisco are in there, and obviously we have Christian McCaffrey, who has been now traded to the 49ers. What's your thoughts on that backfield in terms of from a zero RB watch? And a lot of people will have had the likes of Jeff Wilson, who would have been obviously going in the real right direction but now christian mccaffrey's there and then there is other reserve running backs who we were keeping an eye on behind that in san francisco what what are your thoughts rest of season and and is there a chance for one of those other guys to have a significant impact outside of an unfortunate injury for example to christian mccaffrey well this is such an interesting backfield and one that can create a lot of value you've got to keep your eye on it even after mccaffrey is added we know that he hasn't been very healthy the last several seasons so the backups there still retain a lot of interest and i think that the big development here in week seven that you know kind of goes off the radar to an extent because christian mccaffrey is there it's simply that Tyrion davis price actually plays a pretty decent amount you get 26 snaps for wilson 13 for tdp he's someone who in shallow dynasty leagues hard to keep even though he's an intriguing young player obviously they spent that third round pick on him i think that once they spent all the rest of those picks to acquire mccaffrey then every other player feels irrelevant and yet that draft pick there still sort of reared its you know ugly head if you want to say but still was relevant this past week where he gets a target he has two rushing attempts if you are playing jeff wilson when he has eight opportunities, those three that you lose to Darian Davis Price, you're like, we need everything we can get here. The other thing is that eventually Elijah Mitchell will come back and probably be the clear-cut backup. I actually have some teams where he was stashed on a McCaffrey team, and suddenly, as opposed to being someone who maybe could be a second-half league winner or at least league impactor, now he's a handcuff, so you keep him then probably as the handcuff. It is trickier for Wilson teams. Zachary Kruger and I have one of those never too early best ball tournament teams in the FFPC where we were getting a lot of points from Wilson and Clyde Edwards Alaire. Again, this team drafted very, very early. Those guys not necessarily targets at certain points in the season, but you benefit when you get lucky. And that team is way out in front, but now has really quite a few questions at the running back position. The Kansas City Chiefs, another one that is at least mildly controversial or at least provocative as we head into week eight. But I think that Tyrion Davis price playing in this game is something that you, you do have to keep in the back of your mind. It's more relevant than maybe it seems on the surface. Yeah. So I think it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting one to track. The other one, Sean, that you have in here is Carolina. Obviously there was quite a bit of fab budget spent across all formats of leagues for these running backs linked obviously with christian mccaffrey moving team then we have dante foreman and chuba hubbard 
who get a substantial amount of work split between them this past week in terms of how things worked out. And it was very balanced in terms of the snap share was 54 to 46. The targets was two to three, you know, attempts though was where the gap I think really was with Foreman leading the way there 15 to 9 but nothing massive in terms of the team opportunities 35% to Foreman Hubbard getting 25% of the the total team opportunities but pretty balanced in that backfield but this was a team that a couple of weeks ago couldn't put any points in the board they looked pretty good overall against Tampa Bay this past week so what is the value and uh, moving forward with both of these guys? Um, is it a case of like, you know, if you've picked them up this week, you're adding them to your lineup and hoping for the best? Or is there one of them that you have as a, a clear priority here to, to have moving forward? Well, they claim that Hubbard could have gone back into the game last week if they had needed him to. It's funny that they were in position to rest yeah. guys against <laughs> the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And yet he has missed a number of practices this week as we record at this juncture so it looks like hubbard may actually miss or be pretty limited this week you look at the expected points numbers in their week seven upset and those are pretty interesting 9.9 for foreman 8.9 for hubbard both of them outperformed by the value of essentially a touchdown 6.6 and 6.4 we know that foreman broke the long run hubbard broke the medium length touchdown they both looked very good and this one you head over to the advanced stat explorer and you can see that foreman had a 15 percent broken tackle per percentage obviously it's much easier to do that in a single game than you know, over the course of a season those would be elite numbers if he were to do that over the long term again just one game but you have the three and a half yards after contact you've got good before contact numbers for both of these backs again a little bit of a surprise when you consider who they are who they were playing against it does illuminate some of the other struggles that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are also having right now. The thing here for this week is that it doesn't seem impossible by any stretch that Foreman could jump up to EP numbers in the 15 range. It's probably more likely still within the context of the Carolina offense that he underperforms as opposed to overperforms. But this is a guy who I mean, is big and fast. And those two things will help you with the NFL level. He appears to have gotten over all of the little things that were holding him back as a young player. I mean, he came into the NFL with very good projections. Kevin Cole was writing for us at the time. And I think Foreman popped ahead of some other big names in his model. Obviously, those things continue to be improved on. As we go through time, I'm not saying Foreman would be the number one player in his model right now, even looking back on that season, but it gives you a sense of where Foreman could be or how he could be viewed differently if not for some of those struggles. Now, those struggles happen. We have to consider them, but I think that Foreman and Hubbard were very interesting players last week. I had for, uh, Hubbard in quite a few lineups and you know, so you're excited when you see that highlight flash up on the screen. You're excited when you go back and watch the game. This is actually the last game I watched this week. And even knowing the outcome, I was impressed by some of the elements there with DJ Moore. Obviously, PJ Walker opens it up a little bit this past week. But Foreman, Hubbard, both of those guys looked good and flashed the talent that we think they have. Hubbard is a guy where I think that he is a long-term hold at the very least, but but by in dynasty, again, not someone you're going to overpay for. You're going to pay for this one particular game. It may not even be this season, but when you're talking about adding guys to the very back of your dynasty roster, 
Hubbard is someone we shouldn't forget about just because he had a rough rookie season. And the struggles that they had this year, just how bad they were, their coach getting fired, all of those things. I mean, those dynamics were in place after McCaffrey was injured a season ago. I'm still pretty optimistic about him, even though obviously you were disappointed that he didn't do more when he was filling in for CMC last year. Yeah, and when we look at, you know, you mentioned Foreman. Last year when Derrick Henry's injured, he looked tremendous in that uh, Tennessee offense as well. So I think they're going to be an interesting combination to watch moving forward. And you mentioned the, the injury status. We'll watch that for week eight coming up. But people might wonder again, like we do quite a bit, Sean, you know, you mentioned Blair's article on the website. Anything Blair does is fantastic, but each week he does the zero RB watch and Sean follows it up with more kind of a conversational piece around the, the running back options. And you're kind of getting a sneak preview of it here today as we talk through some of these players. But the reason that it is so important is you continue to look through these teams and see how those backfields change. If we look back to last year, and unfortunately he is injured for the remainder of this season, Rashad Penny. At this point last year, Rashad Penny had played a to- or he had rushed a total of eight times and week one last season rushed two times was inactive or did not play all the way through to nfl week seven had six rushing attempts week seven week eight has seven rushing attempts does not play week nine two rushing attempts and week 10 does not play and week 11 moving forward he plays the rest of the season from week 12 but it's really week 13 onwards where the domination starts with 137 yards in week 13 135 yards week 16 170 yards week 16 or week 15 and then week 16 sorry and then week 17 190 yards and a lot of touchdowns sprinkled in there all six of his touchdowns coming in that five game stretch so you're looking for these guys who really charge that roster up to the uh the fantasy championship i guess at the the end of the day so this is why we put so much time into to looking at these guys and, and what we're looking at moving forward sean the next one up is green bay and this has been an offense we've talked about it it has struggled there's been a lot of situations where it hasn't been all that exciting talked last week about you know they just need to get Aaron Jones the ball more they need to get him the ball as much as possible he is a dynamic playmaker looked fantastic last week but they did give them the ball a lot more last week versus what had been happening previously the downside of that is for AJ Dillon drafters he is somebody who may now become somebody's on the zero rb watch because i think that there's gonna be a point that if this isn't a good week from this week people will be starting to to drop them in those shallower bench leagues and then we'll be getting into the bye week scenario you might have to, to cut somebody like adele if it continues like that so last week we have in terms of the snap share it's 74 to 30 in terms of eight or in favor of Aaron jones we get 10 targets for Aaron jones that's a 30 percent target share for the team in terms of rush attempts there is only 12 rush attempts but eight of those going to Aaron Jones, four of them going to A.J. Dillon. So that leaves, in terms of the opportunities, 18 to Aaron Jones and four to A.J. Dillon. Now, the game scenario last week, uh, I have listened to Aaron Rodgers this week talking about it in terms of a lot of you know third and twelve or second and twelves, you know second and ten situations. So they did not run the ball last week. We joked on the recap show of the teams that you know ran it forty plus times last week. Well, the Packers only ran it on those twelve occasions. But Sean. How are you feeling about AJ Dillon moving forward? We touched on our concerns with the Packers where they were being drafted. Aaron Jones looked good last week. I don't think we're getting them 10 targets every week, but I do think 18 opportunities is in the realm of possibility for him. But just a four for AJ Dillon is a it's a concern there. Yeah, you look at the first month of the season and everybody who drafted Dillon really early, I think had to be 
to be mildly encouraged because he actually has six more opportunities than Aaron Jones in that first month. Almost hold his own in targets. He has nine more rushing attempts. He only trails in snaps by 16, and they're on the field together quite a bit. Then you go to the last three weeks, and suddenly he's trailing in opportunities by a very wide margin, losing out on both targets and attempts, 21 fewer ops overall. And now we have gotten to a point where there's a big split in snaps as well. 127 for Jones, only 72 for A.J. Dillon. This could be a situation where we just jump back to more balance again in week eight because we're now in this pattern where week five, heavy Aaron Jones, week six, bounces back in favor of Dylan. Week seven, heavy Aaron Jones could bounce back again. But I think it's more likely that we're moving in a direction now where Aaron Jones is just going to be the very clear 1A and maybe simply the clear A. And A.J. Dillon is filling a more niche behind him. Game script is going to come into that. Maybe they're still looking at Dylan in some of these short yardage elements. There has been some rhetoric suggesting that they want him to run a little bit harder. That's never good to hear, especially when the Packers are dealing with these other issues as well, right? Everybody who is not dominating you know, this week or the last two weeks is starting to get thrown under the bus. That dynamic with the Packers makes you worry that, not exactly panic, but there are going to be some people who get hung out to dry here and do have their roles changed The other part of this is that the Packers have just not been nearly as good as we expected. And so you look at some of these teams where there were two guys drafted relatively early. You have Tony Pollard drafted just right on the heels of Ezekiel Elliott and drafted as though, I mean, you really needed that injury that has happened now and the path that week eight probably will provide for Pollard for that to work out. You had Stevenson and Harris drafted relatively early there together with Stevenson jumping ahead of him. That part has also worked out very nicely. Stevenson, a huge talent. Harris, probably an underrated talent. The rushing game specifically for the Patriots has been more effective than people anticipated. Still questions, obviously, now with the passing game where the quarterback controversy is in full swing. It looks like it'll be Mac Jones for this week. But the Packers were just an extreme version of that where coming off of those two MVP seasons, coming off of those two really high seeds in the NFC, and then losing all the wide receivers, the idea is that these guys are going to be very, very involved in the receiving game. That has come to fruition in some games, but not consistently enough to really boost either of these players. So now both Jones and Dylan are really needing to see an injury to the other guy to be able to come anywhere close to draft position But maybe Jones can do it without if he continues to demonstrate the explosiveness that we've seen season after season after season from him. He's a guy where every year we say his expected points numbers are not going to be in the range that they need to be to justify this draft position. But if he scores a lot of these touchdowns from 20 yards out, if he steals some of the receiving touchdowns in close, then based on that within the offense, I mean, he can get right there to do it. And especially then if you have the big games timed correctly. I mean, he's still a guy where he could underperform during the season and then win you a tournament if he hits on those big games, weeks 15, 16, 17, maybe two out of three, something like that. 
it's still tricky here because the main thing that you need to see is the Packers offense play better. I do have a pretty decent amount of Dylan in dynasty. I got some offers from him from teams that are more looking to 2023. And obviously the Packers could bounce back. I went ahead and accepted those offers this week. I think that's the way to play Dylan in the short term. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And just out of interest, Sean, what sort of value are you getting in case people are looking to 2023 what should they be throwing out there for Dylan? well i traded him for deandre hopkins i don't know that that necessarily is going to be something that is available all that often although again dylan did go ahead of hopkins this year now part of that was that you had to wait those first six weeks in the underdog resurrection drafts that ben and i did together hopkins was going much earlier and then the other big change is that marquise brown is out at least for a while. Brown may come back and knock down the volume opportunities in the fantasy playoffs. But especially if someone is looking to the future and is trying to move some of these guys, one of the things you have to remember is that this is the perfect time to also sell DeAndre Hopkins. He's coming back. He had a huge game right away. It could have easily not happened exactly like that. And then your trade value is much lower because there are questions about well, you know, what will Hopkins be? And when you have a window to move a veteran, even a veteran wide receiver of Hopkins pedigree, you want to go ahead and take those because even if the players end up actually playing well for three or four more years, if you're not in position to compete at those points, I mean, what do you do? You're going to have to sell low at some point. AJ Dillon still a big talent. I mean, my concern with him would be just that as you get into even your mid-20s at running back, it's hard to move the player. So I like doing that. Uh, there were a few other peripheral pieces in that trade that also were better for the person on the other side, a little bit to balance out Hopkins. It's the it's the general value there. But I think if, if you have Hopkins and you have a team that is not competitive this year, trying to make some moves for Hopkins and some other leagues as well, big picture we almost always recommend going in the other direction. That's part of the perpetual reloading. But if you've built this really strong base of young players, as long as you don't overpay, then there are going to be some specific time periods where adding a veteran doesn't hurt you, may help you get across. This hasn't been a good year for young players. And so if you have a championship type of team, this might be one of those unique circumstances where adding a little bit of a veteran punch Makes sense. 
anybody who's looking for that a little bit more in redraft, Ben and I talked about receivers you might target in that vein uh, in our most recent episode of Stealing Bananas. Talked about some guys we don't usually talk about. Love that, Sean's getting every every so often. Sean's thrown in these segues to give plugs to the to the other shows and linking them all together. Love to see that growth, Sean, as we as we continue through our podcast. I I, I like to think of it as like a podcast multiverse between all the different uh, shows here on on Rotoviz Radio. Uh, the next one, Sean, you mentioned it's about the rest of the season rather than just week eight, but just week eight represents a big opportunity for somebody who you touched on a moment ago. That is Tony Pollard. Ezekiel Elliott out this week. Pollard should get a huge amount of the backfield split in general. And this is kind of what people who drafted Pollard have been waiting for all along. There has been weeks where we've seen him flash, but they have kind of stuck with Elliott in a lot of the situations as well. So this could be where Pollard, you know, puts up such a performance that they have to start to to let him gain an edge in this backfield. Yeah, and Pollard, one of these guys who a really impressive talent. And an impressive talent in terms of generating those after contact yards that people are so enthusiastic for and doing it over a multiple year time frame, even though he's not a big back. Averages three yards after contact in 2020, averages three yards after contact in 2021, and in the first half of 2022 has taken it up a notch at 4.3 there. He has a 25% evasion rate. Those are Javante Williams 2021 types of numbers at this point and especially with the Cowboys offense not being the juggernaut we expected I mean having that dynamism as a runner is important I mean Elliot kind of fitting into that Leonard Fournette category where when things go well and when he's delivered to the goal line I mean, he's going to get some of those scores and so we see that from him again this week he does get, as Blair mentions in his article, back to zero. So back to break it even in terms of fantasy points over expectation. But he does have the MCL sprain in his right knee. Almost certainly misses week eight. There's a possibility that if they get in a pretty good position here, that they could take the long view, maybe try and get him all the way rested up. He's going to want to play. They can kind of couch this as, we really need him healthy for the stretch run and the reality playoffs. And the reality may be that they kind of want to have Pollard play as much as they can in the interim. In this week's game, Elliott gets to just a fraction under 16 points in terms of EP. That 16 range would make him you know, a more justifiable pick in that round four range for fantasy. He hasn't been there most of the year. Elliott is at 11.1 for his full season average. If you stack most of that on, and we know that it's not going to be a situation where Elliott goes out and every single one of his touches in the way that he's used will go to Pollard. Some of it probably just disappears into the ether and they pass a little bit more. Some of it will go to the depth options in the Cowboy backfield. But you can add you know, 75% of that on to Pollard and get him into that 20-ish range. Now it's going to probably sit much closer to 17, for example. But then Tony Pollard with his chance to break a big play to outperform his expected point numbers, uh, he's going to be a game breaker. He's going to be a weak determiner in this matchup. If you have Pollard, I mean, this is the situation you have been pointing toward, salivating for. Yeah, I mean, this this is exciting. Yeah, so let's see what happens. But yeah, I have a couple of those. You know, we've talked about Pollard for a long time, and it feels like it's 
this season is the the time for that breakout to happen but the cowboys are trying their best for it not to come to fruition but hopefully we see pollard have a big week in nfl week eight and we can see how it plays out then down the stretch sean you mentioned earlier as well the tampa bay buccaneers being in a bad situation last week and it's such a situation that the panthers are not really rushing to take players back onto the field that maybe are available at that point in time but um rashad white leonard Fournette, that backfield did not get much work last week in terms of total attempts you know opportunities we have leonard Fournette with 11 only the eight for rashad white but a combined 19 attempts is not what we would expect to or uh, opportunities is not what we would expect to see for them on a weekly basis i've been impressed with white over the last couple of weeks and i've been impressed with Fournette all season but this isn't the normal plan that we're going to see with this team to have a combined 69 snaps for them and just the 19 opportunities so what's your outlook though as we move forward in terms of is white encroaching into the overall piece of the pie with leonard Fournette? and obviously we would expect much more what we've seen the previous seven weeks versus what we've seen in week eight from this backfield moving forward yeah i think the answer is yes and no (laughs) when you look at the line here you kind of are thinking that once the game completely got out of hand at the end the Buccaneers gave up, gave White some touches at that point. That's not actually the case. He was involved early, and that has been a theme for them for several weeks now, where once they finally decided, and you can kind of hear how that all developed when you listen to the question and answer with some of their beat reporters over this last month, they're trying to force themselves to use white some anytime that you're saying we're trying to force ourselves to get somebody else in and give Fournette a little bit of a break, especially when Fournette is playing extremely poorly. I mean, that doesn't speak that favorably for white. And then I mean, he's not grabbed the opportunity, right? Less than three yards per carry. No surprise that in that environment, both the before contact and the after contact numbers are terrible. You can't be averaging, you know, 2.7 yards per attempt and have good peripherals he is actually forcing missed tackles on eight percent that's a solid number but we're not seeing it manifest in actual yardage so the big play hasn't been there yet we know that one of the things that white brings to the table is that long speed he's not one of these players who in the early going has looked comfortable at the nfl level who has looked explosive I think we'll get more from that from him in the second half, but it is a missed opportunity because Leonard Fournette has been bad. His 11% evasion rate is not good. His numbers in terms of both before and after contact are terrible. He has a game here where he goes four points under expectation from a fantasy perspective. You look at the game itself and it really turns when he is stuffed on a key drive in the second half on third and one, they decide to go for it when a field goal would have at least gotten them some points on the board, you know, broken into the scoring category there. They give him the ball again on fourth and one. You know, he gets out toward the edge and his lack of speed and his lack of ability to hit and push forward, both very clearly on display as he has tackled for no gain. They turn the ball over on downs. They're never really in the game from that point. There's opportunity here, but neither of these backs really seizing it. We talk about how these backfields, and when you look at the guys who are the targets on the zero RB candidates list, that it is in situations where during the season, 
Things are going to move in the direction of the younger player, the more explosive player, but that player has to seize the day, right? It's not just something that happens on its own. And especially in this situation with Leonard Fournette, where he has the multi-year contract. I mean, it's easy to think, okay, well, Tom Brady is on his last legs. I mean, he looks done. And there have been whispers that he might somehow walk away in season. That part, I wouldn't think would happen. But you have the coaching change this year. You have 2023 looking like there could be a ton of upheaval. But even within that, the fact that Fournette has the contract for next year, I mean, they're not just going to go away from him. They're, and they're not going to quit on this year. And so from that perspective, I think there are some disappointing things. It's a pretty stark contrast to the situation in Arizona, where James Conner, again, contractually I mean, neither of these teams has paid to the extent that the Cowboys paid and locked Elliott into this role ahead of Pollard that's been so frustrating for years. But it is a case where, I mean, that backup, and Eno Benjamin, for example, has to continue to dominate to hold any type of role when the team has put their money in a certain situation and thinks that the veteran probably gives them that balance. And when you look at Connor, you look at Fournette, Neither one of these guys have any explosiveness whatsoever, but there's value to being a big back who can catch passes because then your team can call whatever play they want and you have a little bit of that short yardage success, even though in this last game for the Buccaneers, Fournette failed in that category. Last team to talk about today, Sean, is the Kansas City Chiefs. This in week seven was kind of the definition of a, a three-man backfield between Pacheco Edwards Allaire and Jared McKinnon. McKinnon led the way in snaps, 44% of the team snaps. We get 30% for Pacheco, 27% for Edwards Allaire. Pretty split then across, you know, eight, eight opportunities for Pacheco, seven for Edwards Allaire, the five for McKinnon. So this this is one that I'm interested for you to dissect uh, moving forward. <laughs> who, who is leading the way? The reports obviously come out ahead of last week that the team had given Pacheco the you know, the majority of the first team uh, snaps in training throughout the week, but it didn't really go the way of him being the, the lead man in this backfield on the Sunday of the game. Yeah, and that's because he's not really a good fit for what they need to do situationally. And so if he's going to be the nominal starter, then, I, I mean, you've got some real... Uh, they, they could create a, a dynamic here similar to what the Bills had in 2021 until they finally committed to Singletary down the stretch where you have one of the most explosive offenses in football an offense that you're saying, okay, they're going to deliver these guys to the goal line over and over and over. And yet we're not going to get the points. Now, one of the things that happened this last week is that Edwards Allaire scored again, despite barely playing. And that keeps it moving a little bit for him. And when you have that first round draft pick in your background, when you've scored these touchdowns, when you play for the Kansas City Chiefs, you're going to have some trade value in all formats, but it's it's as close to zero as it can possibly be for those things being true, right? Pacheco also has the issue here of not having looked good in short yardage and not really being a receiving back. He gets zero targets in week seven. And so when you hear all of these notes about Pacheco has gone to number one, and he's pushed Edwards Allaire out. The first thing that you think is, well, in reality, what's going to happen once you get into the game is that Jarrett McKinnon is going to lead the backfield in snaps, which is exactly what happened. Because McKinnon can play both of these roles. He gets the three targets. He only gets the two attempts in sort of a, a strange but not completely unexpected deviation. This week, you get McCall Hardman 
stealing those touchdowns, those handoff touchdowns down by the goal line. Hardman with two rushing scores. He had only two carries previously during the season, but number one, because it worked, and number two, because that's really the only thing that Hardman can bring to the table. We probably will see a little bit more of that. For a team that scores so many points, it's just very difficult to predict what they're going to do. And so in a start-sit environment, if this is a true redraft team and not a best ball team, it's just it's eternally frustrating. I don't think that we have the answer yet. I thought maybe there was a, a tiny little possibility that they might make a move for a disgruntled player, maybe a Cam Akers. But it turns out that the, I don't think malcontent is exactly the right word, but the player with sort of an uncertain background that they do go out and get is Kadarius Tony. Tony probably a little bit more of a medium depth gadget player, if you can call it that, than someone like a Hardman. And yet the addition of Tony probably lowers the ceiling a little bit for these running backs as well. This is moving almost in the direction of a straight Bills type of approach where the backs are used very situationally and have just a fraction of the fantasy value that a team with this much scoring upside per game, you know, a fraction of what you would expect them to have at the running back position. I don't think any of these guys are playable right now in redraft in a month. That could be different. Definitely. If you have any of these guys, you can't cut them. There is a scenario where McKinnon goes back to being what he was in the reality playoffs last year, where they just give up kind of on both of these other two guys and say, look, I mean, we can call any play we want when McKinnon's in the game. Let's do it that way. The other guy who still could emerge, it's tough when you're a late round draft pick, wasn't a particularly good college player. You're having to mix in with other guys. If you don't get a lot of carries and you make the wrong read or you get tackled in the backfield, you lose a little bit of your confidence. The team goes back away from you. Then you have the good week of practice. You're back in the game. These kinds of things can happen for two or three weeks, for five or six weeks. And then suddenly they hit and Pacheco becomes the big league winner. I think that you have to look at that as the scenario that you're chasing a little bit, that you're hoping to have happen here. His particular profile is probably not as good for it as a handful of other guys. It's probably not as good for it as a Ronald Jones, but we've gotten to the point here with how poorly these guys have played and how much the chiefs have stuck with them, even though, you know, there's a mix. I, you can say they haven't really stuck with any of these guys, but they've stayed the players who are active. I think that believing it's Jones takes a lot of belief, but even he, and especially if you have 20 roster spots or you're a deep dynasty league, continue to maintain exposure to all of the chiefs backs the worst thing that can happen here is that you give these guys away and then you don't have the league winner to say it could be anybody. I mean, that's not very actionable except to say, continue to maintain your exposures. You think back to last year and, and you made the great point about guys like Rashad Penny guys who in the main event were not, didn't play a big role because they were locked because they have been dropped so late in the season. that You couldn't then re add them. It's very easy to see in so many different ways how a Chiefs back could be locked this year and go on and score a ton of points in the fantasy playoffs. So, Sean, you're saying there's a chance 
there's a chance. There's, there's a still chance. a chance for Rojo. Uh, I have some even 16 team leagues where where he's still hanging on to the to the roster. So we'll see what happens. But like, I'm not saying it's going to happen. But back to the penny point of him really not being active through those first you know 12 weeks of the season last year, and then we get to a situation where he's the absolute league winner hammer down the stretch and there will be scenarios again this year where that does happen and there is a possibility it'll be ronald jones but that might just be my uh you know imagination running wild yet again here when it comes to to ronald jones but that is going to get us to the end of today's episode this is the third road of his overtime podcast of the week if you haven't checked out the other ones make sure you do check them out the monday recap shows which come out at 5 a.m each and every 5 a.m eastern that is each and every monday have been very very popular check those out we will be back with another one of those this coming monday to recap everything that happens in nfl week eight if you are a podcast listener on the audio side please drop us a written interview on your favorite podcast app but if you are listening to this even over on youtube please drop us a written interview on your favorite podcast app it does help us out a lot it only takes a second click the subscribe button over there as well that is going to wrap up today's show my name is colin kelly you can follow me on twitter at Overtime Ireland, my co-host, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can check out all of Sean's work up on rotoviz.com. And until we are back, good luck in NFL Week 8. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to Overtime on Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz with a discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast.